Okay, so good morning or afternoon as the case may be, uh, depending on when you are tuning into this, the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. We at Cotton Grower hope that you are having a good one. Uh, whether you're in Statesboro, Georgia, or Scottsdale, Arizona, or any and all points in between in the U.S. Cotton Belt, uh, we welcome you. We are coming to you with what we think is going to be a real powder keg, a mighty mouse of an episode, if you will. This thing's going to be short and sweet, but packed to the gills with that premium farm content that you have come to expect from the Cotton Grower team. Uh, speaking of which, I am here today joined by our senior editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Good morning, Beck. Uh, we, uh, we know that so many of you are in the midst of harvest right now, so we hope that uh, we you have us riding along with you in the cab of that picker or stripper. Uh, we know around here it's been a pretty good uh, weather-wise harvest season. I mean, it's been uh, dry, and, and you guys have been able to get out there uh, generally when you needed to. Here for the past couple of weeks uh, in October here around Memphis. Uh, we hope that it's been that way throughout the Cotton Belt. As I said last episode, we hope that you are your numbers are so big on those yield monitors that you're just breaking the system. You're breaking the software with your uh, gigantic yield numbers you're bringing in. Uh, we are going to start today's episode, as we always do, with Jim leading us in a discussion of the hot-button sort of hard news topics from around the cotton industry. Uh, in this episode, what that means is, of course, the latest crop progress report. He's got an item on that. Um, big, big corporate news, uh, if you will, with the announcement recently that BASF is set to buy Bayer's Liberty and seed businesses. So that's uh, a big a big sort of happening uh, in our part of the, of the ag world, if you will. I know that there are a lot of y'all who are Liberty fans, who are Stoneville and Fibermax uh, loyal fans, and so we're going to sort of talk about what that means for the industry as we move forward. Another thing, uh, the EPA, a big thing, the EPA revised guidelines for dicamba use in 2018. That was a is actually kind of a, now that I'm looking at these, it's been a it's been a big news uh, little <laughs> period here. That's a big that that's a big development in this ongoing uh, dicamba situation throughout the Cotton Belt, but especially so here in the Mid-South. So we're going to get into that a little bit. And then we got a small item on Beltwide registration and general info. That's in San Antonio in January, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, after that, we're doing something a little different. This will be a first for the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, Jim here was out in Texas. When was that? Late September? Late September, yes. And uh, happened to be on the high plains when uh, some high profile uh, ag politicians were coming through and that was uh, Representative Mike Conway who many of you are familiar with. He is a, I think he's a uh, House Representative from yes. Texas Yes. and uh, all, always very active in the uh, ag discussions. Chairman, well, chairman of the House Ag Committee. That's what I was looking for and has been a big champion of cotton uh, from what I've seen through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally am a, am a fan of uh, Mr. Conaway's. So he was there speaking. Also present was U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue. Uh, and I believe you said, uh, oh, why am I blanking on the former presidential candidate's oh, name? Senator Ted Cruz was Senator there. Senator Ted Cruz was also in yes. attendance. Uh, Jim tells me that Purdue and Conaway had much more uh, relevant ag policy uh, discussions 
than did Mr. Cruz. So for our purposes, uh, Jim has narrowed down. They were at a press conference. They each took turns speaking at a podium, and Jim uh, recorded the entire thing and has sort of whittled down sort of the uh, most pertinent quotes out of that thing. And we're going to splice them into our podcast here today rather than presenting our, like we typically do, interview in one big block we are going to splice in the pertinent quotes from Conaway and Purdue. They talked everything from hurricane relief to the upcoming farm bill debate that will be happening in Capitol, on Capitol Hill uh, here before we know it. Yeah, starting very soon. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's uh, important stuff. I'm, I was uh, glad that Jim came back with some of this stuff. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse. We are going to take a brief break. When we come back on the flip side of that thing, Jim here is going to dive into the news topics that we mentioned a second ago. Before we do that, let me take a quick uh, moment to remind you that you would be doing us a great favor if you were to visit cottongrower.com subscribe, and you can resubscribe yourself to our magazine or subscribe if you are not currently receiving the magazine. It's quick, it's easy, it only takes you a minute, and it is uh, the support that we need to be able to continue to bring you uh, the service journalism that we pride ourselves on. So we would appreciate you going to cottongrower.com slash subscribe. Again, our magazine, as always, is free. Our uh, online content is free. All that we ask you to do is to subscribe for it. So that's cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Sign up for the magazine, the e-newsletter, or both. We would appreciate it. For now, we'll take a quick break, and we will see you on the flip side. Bear with us. Welcome back to the Cotton Companion. As Beck said, we're going to slide into uh, some of the more newsy aspects uh, that impact the industry, and have certainly impacted the industry over the last uh, last uh, couple of weeks. And as usual, we'll start with USDA's crop progress report. This is the report uh, as of October twenty second. Uh, so you know, fresh off the uh, fresh off the press, so to so to speak. Uh, we'll look at the uh, the bowls opening percentages at this point uh, out of the 15 states that they survey for cotton. Uh, the, uh, we have open bowls and 87 percent of the crop. Uh, realistically, when you look at the state-by-state uh, -state averages, there are only three states that are fall into the 80 to 90 percent range that uh, are running just a little bit late. Those are Texas, obviously, with, uh, with the crop up on the high plains uh, that is still, still working hard to mature. Um, California, which has just been running a little bit behind schedule uh, this year, and also Alabama uh, is falling, but but, but Alabama is very very close to the uh, to the ninety percent range. So we expect to see that number uh, obviously pop over ninety percent. Uh, but for all practical purposes, uh, this crop is is done, open, and everybody's looking toward harvest at this point. Uh, speaking of harvest. Uh, as of this week, we're 37 percent of the crop is uh, is out of the field at this point. Uh, that's just slightly ahead of the five-year average for this date. But again, step back and look at the state-by-state -state averages, and out of the 15 states that they survey, 11 of those states are running ahead of average. Some are running significantly ahead of average. So that uh, that's that bodes well for. Uh, for getting this crop in and uh, into the gins and things like that. As Beck mentioned, we've had some really good open weather here 
uh, in the Mid-South and other parts of the Cotton Belt for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we know of growers who have just been blowing and going uh, to get the crop in, and in some cases running 24 hours a day on, the, on, on weather forecasts of, of, of a, a day of rain. So uh, everybody's working hard to get it out, and we, uh, we acknowledge that. Uh, for our cotton crop condition overall, um, we are looking at 56% uh, of the crop is still rated good to excellent. 30% of the crop is rated fair, and that leaves 14% uh, rated poor to very poor. That number is up just slightly in, in the past week. And when you look at the state-by-state state, uh, issues or, or numbers, uh, you'll see that, that basically the majority of the, uh, of the poor conditions uh, are, have been recorded in Georgia and in Louisiana, two areas obviously that, uh, that got hit with, uh, with hurricane winds and some damage at a very significant time of, uh, of that crop maturing. So uh, here's uh, keeping our fingers crossed that, uh, that the folks in those areas can certainly salvage what they can and, uh, and be able to make a successful crop. Yeah, or, or conversely, <laughs> I think I was reading a, a, a brief sort of market analysis piece today where it's like, USDA just take note that those things are also, you know, or rather the market respond to those to that hurricane mm -hmm. damage that has happened. Yes. You know? I mean, it's not a, you know, boom crop everywhere. So let's let's get a little price relief if we're going to have to suffer that damage. Yeah, I think looking at the at the market for the last couple of weeks, uh, as these reports came out, obviously the the WASD report for October was fairly neutral, and and the market didn't react too much to that, it might have dropped but then climbed back up. Uh, and obviously there was a little jump uh, yesterday with, uh, with these numbers. But again, we're talking, you know, pennies rather than, yeah. you know, rather than, than anything significant at this point. So we're still kind of in that holding pattern for, uh, for prices. Um, moving on to our next item, and this, this one is one that I think has been uh, long anticipated. And that would be the announcement uh, last week that BASF has agreed to acquire significant parts of Bayer's seed and what they call their non-selective herbicide businesses, which basically is, is the Liberty business and traits, uh, in a cash deal that is worth uh, roughly $7 billion. Uh, Bayer obviously announced earlier that they were going to divest these assets as part of their planned acquisition of Monsanto. Uh, obviously, this deal is subject to the closing of that Bayer-Monsanto deal, which is expected the first quarter of next year, and all of the final approvals by all the relevant authorities in, uh, in different countries. What this means basically is all of the Liberty business, Liberty Link business, uh, the uh, company's field crop seeds businesses, which includes cotton, which would which obviously would be the Stoneville and Fibermax cottonseed brands in the U.S. Uh, the seeds businesses that they have in India and South Africa are not included in this. Uh, but also not only cotton, but they're also looking at, uh, at the canola business that uh, Bayer is in in North America and Europe, and also their soybean seed business. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty significant deal. Um, the transaction includes transferring all relevant intellectual property and facilities, as well as 1,800 employees uh, who are located primarily in the U.S., Germany, Brazil, Canada, and Belgium. 
BASF at this point has committed to maintain all of these positions under similar conditions for at least three years after this deal closes. Uh, obviously, Bayer will continue to own, operate, and maintain these businesses until the closing of, uh, of their deal uh, with Monsanto. And after that point, Bayer will continue, obviously, to be active in these same areas as a result of, uh, of acquiring Monsanto's current programs, products, and offerings. So uh, the one thing you can always say about the cotton business is, uh, you know, change is, is a constant. Uh, I've, I've lost count now how many times Stoneville has bounced around from, from company to company to company. That's what I was sitting here. I was trying to think of a comparable, like, journeyman baseball player who, mm-hmm. who played for, you know, a dozen different teams over the course of a career. Um, the first thing I want to say before I get into that, we certainly wish the best for our friends and ag professionals uh, uh, at every spot in those companies Absolutely. Uh, w- that are who are associated with those brands. We hope that you come out of this thing uh, uh, good. Um we know that, you know, we don't expect these two brands to go away. I mean, gosh, it was just two years ago. Talk about how many uh, sort of corporate brands Stoneville has operated up under. It was just two years ago they had the best-selling variety in the entire cotton Exactly. Um, you know, there's still a lot of value associated with that germplasm and with that trait technology. Uh, like I say, like I alluded to earlier, we know that there are so many of you guys, our, our growers across the cotton belt, who are fans of these brands, who are loyal uh, customers, for lack of a better way to put it, of these uh, two uh, Fibermax and Stoneville cottonseed brands. So we don't expect them to go away. Um, personally, I'm happy that, uh, that that BASF, you know, uh, was the company that wound up with these brands because uh, we expect them to be good stewards of them, for lack of, uh, for I guess, to put it succinctly. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think they will. And, and to put in a shameless plug for our November issue, which is uh, at the press, on press right now and should be hitting mailboxes here within the next uh, week to week and a half. Uh, the November, our November issue, we talked with all of the seed companies uh, about their performance, uh, how they felt their, their varieties performed in 2017, and just sort of a quick look ahead to 2018. Uh, when you look at, uh, particularly looking at the Fiber Max and Stoneville varieties, uh, they're very pleased. With, uh, with their performance, uh, the way growers are using the products, and, uh, and are very excited, uh, very optimistic about some of the new offerings that they're going to have for next year. So by no stretch of the imagination are, you know, are these brands going to miss a step uh, moving ahead. And uh, it, just, it, it just maintains the, uh, the level of competitiveness uh, that, that we've all gotten used to and, and all see here in, uh, in this market. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. To be to be crystal clear, if you're Cotton Grower Magazine or if you are Joe Cotton Farmer out there, uh, the the more seed brands, the more price competitiveness, uh, the better. You know, no two ways about it. So we're we're happy that those two brands are not going anywhere. You know, they'll, they'll be around and available. Absolutely. Uh, moving on. Uh, last week, uh, we I mean we all through the summer we feel like we have spent inordinate amount of time talking about dicamba issues uh, and and probably rightfully so considering everything that's happened this summer uh, and we knew that there was a lot of discussion that was going to happen as, as the season wound down on a state by state level uh, looking at ways to uh, you know looking for solutions on how we can keep this problem from ever happening again so last week EPA who's been working with all of the state uh, states invited. Uh, who have been advising them, uh, 
EPA reached an agreement with Monsanto, BASF, and DuPont, uh, the three manufacturers of the new dicamba technologies, uh, on ways to further minimize the potential for drift to, to, uh, to neighboring crops uh, from the use of some of these, of these dicamba formulations that are used to control weeds in, uh, in obviously genetically modified cotton and soybeans. Uh, EPA worked uh, with the states, with land-grant universities, and with the pesticide manufacturers to examine the causes of some of the recent crop damage that we saw this year. Uh, they carefully reviewed all of the information and developed some tangible changes that will be implemented uh, during the 2018 season. The manufacturers, let's make it clear, have voluntarily agreed to label changes that impose additional requirements for over-the-top use of these products next year. And those, uh, some of those changes, label changes, are first of all, classifying these dicamba products as restricted use pesticides. That means only certified applicators with special training and those people under their supervision can apply them as well as, uh, and they also have to, uh, to continue with some dicamba specific training for all certified applications applicators, as EPA says, to reinforce proper use. Second, uh, farmers are now going to have to be, are going to re be required to maintain specific records regarding the use of dicamba products to improve their compliance with label restrictions. Uh, the third would be limiting applications uh, to when maximum wind speeds are below 10 miles per hour. The, the label, federal label on this for this year said below 15 miles per hour. So we're dropping down uh, to help reduce potential spray drift. They're also going to reduce the times during the day uh, when applications can occur. There will be additional tank cleanout language on the label to uh, help prevent cross-contamination uh, in the tanks. And also enhancing susceptible crop language and record keeping with, uh, with sensitive crop registries to increase awareness of risk to any especially sensitive crops that might be nearby. Uh, obviously, manufacturers are going to be working hard to get these revised labels uh, out uh, and in the field in the hands of growers uh, in time for, for next use season. EPA will continue to monitor these changes to help, uh, help them with their decision to uh, whether, whether or not to allow the continued use of this uh, pretty valuable weed control tool beyond the 2018 growing season because as we all recall uh, when this label was approved for for use this year it's a two-year label and uh, we were going EPA always had the intention of evaluating it after two years and deciding whether to continue or uh, continue its use or pull it from the uh, from the market so uh, hopefully some of these changes will be uh, will be beneficial and we just won't have some of the issues that we had uh, that we certainly saw this year now, looking ahead on this and going back to a state level, uh, I think as, as we've all seen, uh, Arkansas has kind of become ground zero for, for a lot of the issues and a lot of the, uh, the discussions this year. And the Arkansas Plant Board, back at their, uh, at a September, their September meeting, basically voted to, uh, to put the state, basically, basically banning uh, in-crop dicamba sprains after April 15th of next year, uh, primarily due to all the complaints and all the problems they've had in the state. Uh, this week, or in this past week, 
Monsanto has sued uh, Arkansas Plant Board uh, to stop that proposed summer ban. Uh, they want to uh, basically the lawsuit is, is is blocking them from prohibiting the use of the herbicides uh, manufactured by Monsanto, BASF, and DuPont uh, during the summer when products are meant to be sprayed on soybeans and cotton engineered to resist the chemical. Uh, Monsanto's claim on this or their their argument is the board's actions uh, hurt Monsanto and its Dicamba herbicide brand through the loss of direct sales and indirect business through distribution and licensing agreements and uh, and disadvantages Arkansas farmers uh, from being able to use the technology that is so that is accessible and, and available in other states uh, across the, the country, not only in cotton, but also in, in the soybean and, and corn markets of the, of the Midwest. Uh, the next session for the Arkansas Plant Board, they have a special session planned for November 9th, and I, I can't help but feel that's going to be a pretty significant topic of discussion uh, at this. Uh, you have to go back a couple weeks, you know, not only Monsanto doing what uh, obviously they have the right to do on this, but uh, there was also a, a, a group of Arkansas growers, soybean growers in fact, who petitioned the plant board uh, back before their September meeting uh, to allow use of the product in the state. So you've got you, internal and external factors working over there and I, I certainly don't envy the, the plant board and the, the decisions that they have to make at this point. Yeah, yeah I've said it before Jim, it, it's uh, this specific situation is so uh, uh, foreign to me. It's unlike anything that I have covered as an editor uh, for the past decade that I've been a cotton grower. It's it's one of the few issues that really is sort of divided uh, neighbor by neighbor, household by household. Everybody's kind of got a take on this thing. And so, so many of, as you alluded to, mm-hmm. soybean guys who are also uh, dicamba growers, our own, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, they, they want to protect this technology, uh, whereas others uh, want it gone tomorrow, as an uh, uh, extension specialist in Tennessee uh, put it uh, when I was speaking with them last month. So anyhow, it's, it's just an interesting, from an editorial, from a content perspective, you know, conflict is, is uh, of interest. And so it's, it's very uh, intriguing to watch as this thing plays out. I, I do hope that uh, we come to a solution that, that satisfies all parties. Oh, absolutely. And really, that, that kind of makes a nice segue into our last little seg- news segment here about the, uh, the 2018 Beltwide Cotton Conferences. Uh, as Beck said, that's uh, the date for those is January 3 through 5 at the uh, Marriott River Center in San Antonio, Texas. Um, part of the, uh, of the session, or part of the Beltwide Conference that always seems to have the, the largest attendance, uh, is the Half-Day Cotton Consultants Conference, which really is open to all attendees. And this year, the topics selected by the consultant group uh, to discuss would, would in- include, obviously, a review of the first year of in-crop dicamba use. So there's going to be a lot of new information coming out between now and the end of the year uh, that I'm sure will be uh, uh, discussed, possibly even cussed. Uh, during uh, during this beltwide session, uh, some of the other topics are looking at sort of a look ahead to uh, to Bolgard three use, um, thrips control, 
uh, bacterial blight and nematodes are still going to be a, a big issue, and they're going to take uh, take center stage for for part of the discussion, uh, as well as cotton root rot and fungicide seed treatments. Um, obviously, the session will also have a regulatory update uh, and some presentations on growing cotton uh, economically, and uh, and also a session on contamination prevention. Uh, the sessions, the technical sessions, uh, which provide updates on research and, and technology, uh, will begin the morning of January 4th and conclude by noon January 5th. Now, one of the, one of the more interesting sessions that, uh, that Beltwide will include this year and is a special workshop called Risk and Reward Small Unmanned Aircraft Systems for Agricultural Producers. Uh, this is a special session. It's supported by a grant from the Southern Extension Risk Management Education Center and the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Uh, it's going to be led by Dr. James Robbins. Uh, he's an extension specialist with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture. Uh, I spoke with Dr. Robbins uh, for a, an article again that will show up in our, our November meeting or our November issue uh, that will provide a little bit more detail on, on this session. But basically, the whole workshop is going to focus on some risk based training for current and future users uh, with reports on aircraft systems and, and, and a workflow demonstration. Uh, Robbins will be one of four presenters during this session, uh, and they're hoping that participants will, uh, will come out of the session with an improved understanding of the flight regulations, the types of platforms and sensors, uh, data processing, potential ag uses, and liability issues related to using uh, the, these, uh, these drones, if you will, and be equipped to make improved decisions to match the best equipment with their needs if they choose to uh, to start implementing this. So it's it's going to be a very interesting session. I think uh, uh, I was certainly excited talking to uh, to Dr. Robbins about it. It uh, I think there are their plans at this point, although they're not completely firm, is uh, there may even be some flight demonstrations inside the hotel, uh, possibly in the meeting room. Uh, and there may even be an opportunity for some of the attendees to, uh, you know, to show off their mad flight skills uh, in there uh, in terms of takeoffs and landings. And hopefully nobody will buzz the, you know, the audience. But, hey, anything's possible, I guess. I'm envisioning just explosions <laughs> if they were to hand the controller to me. Right. Just it wouldn't be good. wouldn't be good. I'm, I'm going to steer clear of that one. I think I, think I will, too. Uh, anyway, registration is open now. Uh, you can go uh, to the to the National Cotton Council website. That's that's cotton.org/beltwide, and there you will find the opportunity to go ahead and register for the conference. You'll find uh, the opportunity to go ahead and make uh, hotel reservations. Uh, again, if you register before December fifteenth, uh, there's uh, the discounted the discounted rates will be in place for uh, for all all attendees at that point. Um, again, uh, conference, the re registration kiosks will open up uh, the evening of January 2nd and, uh, and full registration will be uh, kicking into gear the morning of January 3rd. So uh, take a look at your calendars. Uh, I think this is going to be a very, very good meeting. And uh, obviously, from from our perspective, we hope to see all of you there. Yep, yeah, we sure do. We we uh, we enjoy seeing the farmers who still support that thing. We know that the the good people at the Cotton Council uh, work hard to pack that meeting with uh, 
you know, content that's going to help y'all be better farmers ultimately. So uh, we, we appreciate those of you who still see fit to attend. We, we have a good time. We eat well. And uh, that's, that's actually the number one thing for me uh, is to go to these cities and eat real well. So anyhow, we do hope to see y'all there. We do enjoy San Antonio, by the way. That's true. Absolutely. As I think most of the cotton industry does. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, Jim, let me stop us there. Um, I guess we don't have to go into a break here, I'm thinking out loud. We can just uh, uh, plow forward with these bits of audio that you uh, right. brought back with us from West Texas. But before we do that, I want you to set the scene of tell me where you weren't in Lubbock, were you? And tell me, like, the uh, the... the the scenario where you captured this audio. Well, I was, you know, as 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 our readers know, we, we do spend a significant amount of time in the high plains every year, uh, simply because you know there's a lot of cotton acres out there, a lot of very good progressive growers. Uh, it's a good place to go gather information, and uh, so this was sort of our you know the the fall trip, if you will, to uh, to the Lubbock and, and the areas surrounding it. Uh, to meet with the seed companies, sit in on some field days, uh, talk with a few growers, uh, get a feel for how this year has gone and what they were anticipating looking ahead to uh, to harvest in that area. Uh, as usual, try to have an agenda set up for uh, for getting you know what we're going to do when we get out there. And two days before uh, before I climbed on an, on an airplane, uh, got the word that uh, well. Maybe some of the things we'd plan to do the first day may have to change because of this big meeting that has suddenly sprung up uh, out there. And it was basically the annual meeting of the Southwest Council of Agribusiness. Now, generally, it's probably not something we would attend. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a meeting they generally hold in Lubbock, but it's not something that, that we normally have been, have been part of. But... Uh, Considering the, uh, the considering the opportunities that the council had on this, uh, they shifted meet, the meeting site from Lubbock uh, down to uh, La Mesa, uh, maybe about 45 minutes south of Lubbock, uh, from uh, from a small meeting room or relatively small meeting room in Lubbock to uh, to a large John Deere dealership, uh, the good folks at BE Implement there in La Mesa. Uh, in order to handle a large crowd because this was going to be the second day of a visit to Texas by, as Beck said, House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway, who's from Odessa, uh, and Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, both of whom had been in the coastal Texas area uh, viewing and discussing discussing the devastation uh, in that area from Hurricane Harvey, taking a good, solid look at, uh, at what the situation was and, uh, and what folks down there were still needing. Um, the, uh, as, as Beck also mentioned, at this meeting, uh, Chairman Conaway and Secretary Purdue were joined by Senator Ted Cruz, who, uh, who is from Houston and represents that area, so it was very appropriate for him, uh, him to be part of that tour as well. Um, I will say, although this wasn't really touted as one of the House Ag Committee's official listening sessions that they've been holding uh, across the country, it came pretty darn close. Uh, as attendees, the vast majority of whom were involved with the cotton industry there in the High Plains area, asked 
uh, questions and shared their thoughts with, uh, with the delegations. And these included questions about Cotton's role in the next farm bill, uh, a plea, uh, as, as we've heard for, for the past year, for some immediate short-term economic relief uh, for growers facing rising production costs, and then also, uh, you know, discussion about prices and, and, and where and those may be going. Uh, so following the meeting, uh, there was a short press conference where Chairman Conaway, Secretary Purdue, and Senator Cruz uh, were able to add a bit more detail to some of the questions and comments. And I'm going to set some of this up uh, just a little bit. We've got four different uh, sound bites from this that I think you'll find interesting uh, when you start looking at uh, at Cotton's role as as uh, as they start pulling the 2018 Farm Bill together. Some of these excerpts, uh, sound quality is going to be generally pretty good. Uh, there's going to be a little other ambient noise and some comments from the room, as you, as you might expect from from a press conference. But you know, just ignore those and listen to uh, listen as best you can to uh, to what the the speakers are having to say. So that really was kind of the the crux behind it. It was. Uh, Sort of an, you know, serendipitous, and that's a word we don't use very often in Good the word, industry. Solid uh, word. You know, you know, a, a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to get some uh, some additional information and insight on on where things stand in Washington, in terms of the farm bill. So, so let's move ahead. Yeah, go for it. Set up set up our first little <laughs> okay. uh, uh, soundbite. All right. First of all. Uh, the first question Chairman Conaway uh, received was uh, a question about the status, obviously, of the 2018 Farm Bill and the chances of getting cotton back in the program. And this is what the Secretary had to say. First opportunity to make that happen, uh, Jim, would be the 18 Farm Bill. It's in my top, I got four top priorities that got to make happen. One is in dairy, and uh, certainly cotton is uh, leading that. I represent just a couple of cotton growers that support to that show uh, uh, we'll get it back in a so formal fashion. This Well, the House version is, uh, I'm talking leadership, I, they're going to give me floor time sometime late in the fourth quarter, early first quarter. Uh, our committee is at work now. We've done all the work we need to do in the public. And we're not doing the uh, hard lift of uh, actually writing the bill and looking at those areas and uh, getting things scored to CBO. So once uh, Kevin McCarthy, our leader, gives me a date, then I'll back up about 10 days from that and uh, we'll have it on the floor of the, in the committee and then uh, move it forward. Um, and then I've got to find 217 other uh, good men with tried and true who will uh, back up that play in production agriculture. And I think that the backdrop of the, the 14 versus 18 circumstances will be uh, making less difficult, as well as the tragedies we've seen uh, that our good senator described just uh, in, in the incredible word pictures of what's been going on on the Gulf Coast. Uh, the next question that came up, uh, Secretary Purdue uh, was asked this question, and he offered his thoughts on uh, on where he believed the Trump administration's awareness of the cotton program was at this point and sort of the uh, uh, thoughts on, on the peril, uh, I believe is the way the, the question was asked, the, the peril that growers may be in. 
and this was the secretary's uh, response to that. I think the president understands the devastation in many ways. Uh, Senator Cruz talked about the devastation in Houston. Uh, it's my job to advocate on behalf of agriculture and make sure those administration know that's what we're out doing here in Texas and Florida and uh, Georgia and other places to uh, help them understand. We're providing the numbers there, but again, uh, the president is not the appropriator as well. And uh, while I don't think it's likely that we're going to go back to a disaster appropriation, as I indicated, I do believe that it's possible, uh, based on this tragedy and the hurricanes, that we may be able to get the cost gen sharing program that seemed unlikely earlier. Uh, third was a question about trade issues, which obviously are very near and dear to, uh, to the cotton industry's heart. And uh, a question about the status of, of the Foreign Market Development Program and the Market Access Program, which have provided a great deal of assistance to the cotton industry in terms of, uh, of exports to other countries. Uh, wanted to just sort of the, the question about those and how they tie into the Farm Bill, because there's been a lot of rumors about are they in or are they out uh, as it looked ahead. And Secretary Perdue took a, uh, took a shot at answering that question as well. First one is the market access program. Uh, those funds were not included in the president's budget early on, but I think uh, Congress understands the importance of those. We've heard about that. Those are really cost-sharing programs where usually the industry participates, sometimes 50-50 or more uh, with those programs for market access internationally. Uh, trade is primary. Uh, we've created an undersecretary for trade, and uh, he's going to need some assistance in helping to market these programs across the uh, across the globe. And I think we'll see those market ac access programs uh, fulfilled, and we'll use them to the best of our ability to go uh, sell the great uh, product productive capacity of, of American farmers and ranchers. And finally, uh, one of the last questions that was asked, uh, Chairman Conway was asked about his current thinking. Uh, regarding an extension of the Ginning cost share program, which is something that has also been uh, been discussed as part of the mix, uh, especially following the visit down to the coastal Texas area, and uh, and Chairman Conaway and Secretary Purdue both had some some interesting comments to make on that regarding uh, their hopes and, and wishes that uh, that the rest of rest of their colleagues in Washington could have had an opportunity to be down there with them for for multiple reasons. Here's what they had to say. Well, the, uh, the issue, as the Secretary said, is at OMB, uh, and uh, we're working to gain uh, support out of the administration to help OMB understand just how important this really is and how immediate the need really is uh, that's moving forward. You've got some new folks at OMB that weren't there at the point in time when Bill Sack did the gin share, so it's been an education process, and they're working with the White House to make sure that they get the information to their people. And as we've said several times, this uh, Harvey, the, the silver lining is going to be take a picture of one of those ruined modules. I hope I wish we could capture the smell that I take with us. Uh, and, and the pictures of the modules just blown across, back out across those fields, and just how horrible those look. Those are pretty impactful uh, to help uh, uh, Mick Mulvaney, our, uh, our former colleague and a friend, uh, understand just how important it is getting done now. We need to take back a scratch off of the DC, exactly. don't we? <laughs> yeah, I've been by there. That's, uh, and I've got one of the world's worst senses of smell, and it was uh, obnoxious. So, all right, that's, uh, you know, that, that's good stuff. Anytime you have a chance to hear from, uh, you know, such prominent ag legislators, I don't think they get any better than uh, Mike Conaway and Sonny Perdue if you're talking about farm policy. So good on Jim for being out there, being in the right spot, having his trusty recorder ready. I believe, was it, um, 
Did Mary Jane set that up for us at PCG? She's the one who, and, and thanks to Mary Jane Burke. Shout out to Mary shout Jane. Shout out to Mary Jane at Plains Cotton Growers for alerting us to uh, to this meeting. Yeah. And uh, we're certainly happy to attend, but this was, uh, uh, it, it was a, a very, very well attended meeting. I'm, I'm guessing there might have been close to, a, you know, 800 to 1,000 people. Yeah. Crowded into uh, into a very large space at this dealership. So. Well, for, for for that reason, I mean, people know. I mean, again, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, if you want to talk about people who shape farm policy right now, probably people who are working for the good uh, at the moment, uh, despite a lot of obstacles. Uh, you, the first couple of names that would come to my mind mm-hmm. are certainly Conaway and Purdue. Well, I think I think the encouraging part to everyone who was there, and certainly the the impression I got coming out of that. Uh, is uh, everyone who attended was very encouraged to hear from from these these leaders uh, about their desire to get cotton back into the next farm bill as a covered commodity uh, and the very very strong interest that they have to getting this uh, to getting the the ginning cost share program renewed not only for this year but also set it up as a continuing program for years to come uh, that was several weeks ago so we got into it and now as as we move into you know the more recent coverage one of the things that secretary purdue kept alluding to was we have to see how much money we have to work with we have to see what our funding is going to be uh obviously the the house had 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 put a budget package together i think that uh that looked at i want to say the number that's coming to my mind is like 10 billion dollars uh to come out of the ag budget for uh, for 2018 uh, what we what we discovered late last week as the uh, as, as the Senate put their uh, their budget package or their budget res- resolution together uh, they put uh, they basically cleared the way uh, for a, a bill that does not require any reduction in farm bill spending which is good news uh, that at least gives us the uh, the chairman uh, of both the Senate and House Ag Committees and the Secretary, uh, a, fr- a much better understanding of what they have to work with uh, in terms of dollars to put the program together for 2018. Uh, the House basically, I think, uh, from all indications, are going to uh, to, go to side with the Senate on this. There may be a few little, uh, you know, meetings to, to work a few things out, but it looks like uh, agriculture is going to come through with uh, without being asked to uh, to give up anything, so move. So, uh, well, obviously, we'll be monitoring this situation as because uh, the farm bill development is both a, a, a fascinating and frustrating uh, topic to cover, uh, as as we saw from the last farm bill. But I, I got to admit, I'm I'm a lot more optimistic that this one's going to go a whole lot smoother than the last two have. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we shall see. As you say, we uh, we certainly got the. Got the inside scoop here, uh, as you say, the past couple of weeks when you were, I guess, a few weeks ago now when you uh, spoke with these two gentlemen. So let's reel that in. We're going to take a brief music break, and when we come back, we will get you out of here. Hang with us. Okay, so that is going to just about do it uh, for this installment, the 32nd installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to say thank you again to Mary Jane uh, Burkle at 
Is Mary Jane short now? No, Burkle. Burkle knits. I forget which one to change. Mary Jane, <laughs> forgive me, Mary Jane. Mary Jane Burkle out there She'll at, let uh, you know. at Plains Cotton Growers uh, for setting Jim up to uh, be able to capture this audio. We want to thank uh, Rep Conaway and Secretary Purdue for their time, for being out there to speak to so many of our growers and to speak in front of us uh, about ag policy. Uh, we, we, as journalists, certainly appreciate that openness and willingness to speak to the public and speak to the media. Uh, moving on, we, we are doing a new subscription drive, as you may or may not have noticed, which is in part tied to our podcast platform. Uh, the main thing, long story short, we would like for you to do, if you haven't subscribed to our e-newsletter or magazine in a while, please go visit cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe and just resubscribe there. It costs you nothing. You're just putting your address in there to make sure we uh, continue to get the magazine into your mailbox or the e-newsletter into your email inbox. So we want to thank you sincerely for joining us today. I think I promised you a very short episode at the beginning of this thing, and we're looking at right at about 45 minutes. So it's actually a very typically linked episode. <laughs> so I apologize for that if you if I have messed up your we, schedule. We can't help ourselves. Out there in the cab of the picker. I'm sure I've thrown your day completely out of whack. Um, no, we want to thank you sincerely for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, by all means, please tell your farmer buddies about us. Be an evangelizer for the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, if they want to know how to reach us, you could tell them to do so in three very easy ways. The first, simply go to cottongrower.com, add a forward slash companion in there so that it reads cottongrower.com slash companion, and you will come to a page that features all of our, our archived episodes. You can browse by topic what you'd like to listen to there. The second way, very easy way to make sure you get every episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast is to subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you're familiar with iTunes on your smartphone, just go ahead, open that iTunes app and subscribe to our channel. You can search for us by searching for the Cotton Companion uh, once you're inside the app there. Uh, when you do that, subscribe to our channel, leave us a rating, let us know what you think of our pod. We welcome any and all feedback. Uh, the third and final way, what I consider the best way to make sure you receive each episode of the Cotton Companion podcast, is to uh, subscribe to each installment of, or rather subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. Uh, Jim here works hard to pack all of the relevant news of the day into uh, the Cotton Grower e-newsletter. They hit your mailbox like clockwork every Tuesday morning. Occasionally during the production season, they will come twice weekly uh, so they will appear on Thursdays as well. You can do that. You can subscribe to the Cotton Grower e-newsletter by simply going to, again, www.cottongrower.com slash subscribe. It's very intuitive from there. It'll walk you right through to make sure you get that good e-newsletter. Uh, also, finally, make sure you are following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue. That is the November issue, the special uh, variety showcase issue, which you can check out. You will know everything there is to know about available cotton seeds to you for 2018. You'll be the smartest guy in your corner of the belt if you read that thing from cover to cover. So don't miss it. Uh, the Actually, when does that do? Here in about a couple of weeks now. Huh? In about uh, a week and a half, that issue will be hitting, hitting mailboxes. So. This is editorial life. You are perpetually thinking the actual date is a month later. So I'm th I was saying that thinking that we were in November. It's actually October 24th today. Anyhow, there we are. 
This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli, who works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. Uh, We thank you, Mark. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next edition of the Cotton Companion podcast. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stedman, we wish you and your cotton farm all the best.